Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Sunday Sermon. For more information about Highest Praise Church, upcoming events, and other helpful resources, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Sherwood Lancaster. I got two weeks left, um, I, I think, I hope so, uh, this series we've been on, this end time series we've been on. So I want you to turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter number 20, Revelation chapter number 20, and um, we're going to talk about the Millennium Kingdom, the Millennium Kingdom, and that can be found in Revelation chapter number 20. Um, the book of Revelation is to be celebrated and to be worshipped because it's about Jesus, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, no, I don't look at that because I don't know it. Well, neither do I, but it's to be worshipped and to be celebrated. And so if you look at the chronological order of the book of Revelation, you see Revelation chapter number 1 is an introduction. It's John um, uh, introducing us into the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the time you get to the second and third chapter, you see Jesus dealing with the church, the local church. At that time, it was the church of Asia Minor, you know, the seven churches. And so he deals with that in Revelations 2 and 3. In Re Revelations 4 and 5, it's John being caught up into heaven, and he's, and he's describing the things that he sees up in heaven. And if you really want to be a, a, a student of eschatology, which is the study of end-time events, then you have to understand this. Um, and when you read the book of Revelation, of the things that John sees that takes place up in heaven and the thing that John sees that takes place here on earth. And Revelation 4 and 5 is the things taking, care, taking, taking place up in heaven. And then when you get to Revelation chapter number 6, all the way to Revelation, all the way through Revelation 18, it deals with what we've been talking about last couple of weeks, the seven years tribulation upon this planet. The first three years is the tribulation, the second three and a half years is the great tribulation. And we dealt with that. By the time you get to Revelation 19, John said, Behold, I saw a white horse. Now he's seeing things taking place in heaven, on earth. And he saw Jesus coming from heaven, coming back to earth. And he's coming back. So Revelation 19 deals with the second coming of Christ, which takes place after seven years of tribulation, which takes place after the rapture of the church. And so we see all these things taking place. And that's what we've been teaching you here. And that's where we are. I'm going to look at the last verse of Revelation 19 because it's where Jesus uh, comes, comes back to earth and when he comes back is to set up his kingdom his thousand year reign right here on earth you know one thing you start talking about eternal life and eternal life and living forever it's, it's so much the Bible talks about eternal life so much things when you deal with prophecy the Bible talks about what's going to happen we know that uh, the next events take place is the rapture and after that is seven years of tribulation then Jesus is going to come back then we have a thousand year uh, of being with Jesus right here on this earth. And then a new heaven, a new earth is going to come. And we're going to live and rule and reign here forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How many know the earth is not coming to the end? That's a millennialism. Millennialism. And that is people who believe that, the, that one day everything's going to come to an end. But things are not going to come to the end. This world as we know it's going to come to the end. But the Bible said that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means he's going to come back and he's going to purify this earth and make it the way he intended to do from the very beginning. Evil will not win in any shape or form. It will not happen. And so we see these things going to take place. And the Bible teaches all kinds of stuff about about what's going to take place. We have to also understand that God not always will be and not always God has all, all God is, but God has always been. 
And so just that we can't wrap our brains around eternity future, we also cannot wrap our brains around eternity past that God has, will always be, but he also has always been. And so it's just a lot of amazing things about God. So there's a lot of things that we do know, a lot of things we don't know. So now we find ourselves in Revelation 19 because it's the end. And I told you what happens when, when liberal-minded and secular humanistic people who hate God and love themselves and, and uh, don't like preachers like me and churches like this because they want their own way, they want to do it their own way, they don't want to listen to God, they want, there's a way that seems right unto them, but that end is destruction, but they don't realize it. And so we see these things taking place, and God will re release the church from this planet at the rapture. And in all these people, everything they want, the lifestyle they want to live, the things they want to have, what they want to worship, and who they want to worship, they're going to be able to. Their hatred for God is going to be the one thing they have in common. There's going to be a charismatic figure, spiritual and most and political is going to be released on the scene to lead the way. And we know him as the Antichrist. He's going to have a little puppet with him called the false prophet. And all these things are going to take place all over the earth. And then this is going to take just seven short years along with the judgment of God that unless Jesus comes back, this world will be completely unrecognizable, will be destroyed, and everything on it and everybody on it be destroyed. But before that happens, including the nation of Israel, but before that happens, Jesus is going to come back, and that's what we pick up in Revelation 19, that he comes back. They call it the battle of Armageddon, but there is no battle at all because there's not a fight between good and evil. Good just wins. I mean, there's no, there's, there's, there's no change of blows, no change of fire. God just comes down. Jesus just comes down, speaks the word, and they're completely consumed. They're consumed. The armies of this world, the armies of this world is going to come together, and they're going to meet in a place in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, in Israel called Megiddo. And Megiddo, and there they're going to, not everybody, just the, some of the armies of the world is going to join there um, to fight for the Antichrist and against the Antichrist. And when they get there, right before they completely annihilate each other, Jesus is going to come back in Revelation 19. And when they see Jesus coming back, they're going to realize that their hatred of each other, that is, uh, their hatred for Jesus is what they have in common. And they're going to try to turn on Jesus, you know. Who knows? Maybe they're going to shoot guns. I don't know what they're going to do at him. Uh, but it's not going to work. And Jesus just at the breath of his word is going to annihilate those armies and they're going to fall dead to the earth. And so when that happens, it's going to make a mess. And so we pick up here at Revelation chapter 19 verse 17. And the Bible says, then John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. It's the supper of the great God. Let's go down to verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sailed on the horse. And all the birds was filled with their flesh. What is this talking about? Well, it's talking about all these nations who joined together at Megiddo to do war against God. And when God comes down, just the brightness of his coming is going to annihilate them. Then it's going to leave a battle complete mess. And Jesus is coming back along with us. We're coming back with him and coming back to set up his kingdom. And he sends what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 17 here, the supper of the great God, the supper of great God. If you put those up here, there's actually four suppers in the Bible, four suppers in the Bible. Um, the supper of the great God is in Revelation 19 and 17. That suppers when everybody who has denied Christ and hates God 
and comes up to do battle against God, just like they did in the Tower of Babel, they're going to lose their life because of it. And God's going to send birds down, and they're going to eat their flesh. They're going to clean up the mess. Isn't that a good thing to listen to at 1138? But that's how his, that's God's cleanup project. And so the supper of the great God are people getting eaten by birds. Ain't the Bible an interesting book? So let's go to the very first one, the supper of salvation. The supper of salvation is Luke chapter 14 and verse 20, verse 14 and verse 16. So let's turn to Luke 14 and let's read this in verse 16. And I'll make you familiar with the first supper uh, that the Bible talks about. Luke chapter 14. And verse number 16, the Bible says, Then he said to him, A certain man had a great supper and invited many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it, and I ask you to give me an excuse. Or, excuse me, verse 19. And another says, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another says, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and their maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant says, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. So then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, and they can come in also, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. My supper. And so we see here this whole parable here that Jesus is talking about. This story here is many people getting invited to the supper, to Jesus' supper here. It's the salvation supper. It's the supper of salvation. The supper of salvation is the invitation. Put those back up there, please. The supper of salvation is a, is a invitation. You don't just show up unannounced at this supper. This is a supper of salvation. You invited. Invited by who? By the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes and invites you. How many knows that nobody gets saved when they want to? They have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knocks on your door and you have to open. And so this is the invitation. The problem is, is that so many people, there's more people that get invited than people that accept the invitation. But that's getting ready to change. It's getting ready to change the way more people coming than people that, that sends the, uh, the, the denial or the excuse to come. So God's getting ready to do something powerful here. And so we see the supper of salvation. The supper of salvation is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You accept that salvation. You become a believer. You accept the supper. You accept the invitation to come and sit at the master's table and be a part of his family and be a part of his house. And that's what the supper of salvation is. If you receive the invitation, and you accept the invitation of the supper of salvation, Luke 14, and then you will participate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, which is in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 26, for my students who are studying this stuff out, then you can see that, that that is the remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. That by his body, the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And by his stripes, we are healed. The fruit of the vine represents his shed blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sin. And so as Christians...
Christians and because we accepted the invitation into the supper of salvation, we get to participate into the Lord's Supper. If you do not accept the invitation to the supper of salvation, then the Lord's Supper won't matter to you. And if the Lord's Supper doesn't matter to you, then you will not be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is when the church is raptured away and we all get to heaven. We celebrate that coming together of Christ and his church. And so if you don't accept the invitation of salvation and the Lord's Supper don't matter to you and you miss the marriage supper of the Lamb, then you're going to get eaten by birds at the great supper of God. Isn't that coming, did you? But anyway, you got an opportunity to be eaten by the, by the birds that suffer a great God. But you see how important this first one is? It's that invitation. And God is constantly sending out invitations. He sent them out this morning. He sent them out each day. He sent whosoever will come. And the people, the, the righteous and the ones who think they got it figured out, when they keep giving excuses why they can't come, Jesus will always, the Holy Spirit will always come. He'll always find somebody that says yes to Jesus. And so we see all this happening. So anyway, let's go back to Revelation. All that was free. You don't have to pay an extra tithe for that. That's just something I just threw in because I'm nice this morning. So Revelation 20. So now when all that's happened and now the birds has come and, and not eat everybody that's left on this planet, just the ones who are making wars. So that's why they come and clean up. You have to understand that some things has happened, and we'll look at this in a second. But now we see that Jesus is coming down, and he has now come, and he's getting ready to set up his kingdom right here on earth. And then John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is going to be a good time to praise and worship and shout here in a second. And this angel came down, and he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bombless pit and shut him up. Have you ever wanted to shut the devil up? Oh, come on, somebody. This week, this morning, just shut up, devil. Just shut up. Well, I know I shouldn't say that, but it's in the Bible. I'm just reading scripture right now. Shut him up. And he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years was finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. There's a couple of things I want to bring up here that we can see in our study of Revelation 20, which is one of my most interesting books to me in the entire Bible. The first one is, is Revelation 20 and verse 1. The Bible doesn't say here that Jesus sent Michael, which is one of the great archangels, or Gabriel, another one of the great archangel. He just sent an angel. You've you got to watch the Bible. He says, and I saw an angel, just an angel. He didn't say Gabriel or the big boy himself, Michael, you know, angel. He just saw an angel. Um, reason why this is important is because we like to put God on the same level as the devil. God is not on the same level as the devil. Matter of fact, the devil is so not a match to God that he didn't even send one of his top-ranking angels. Um, he turned Cecil. I named him Cecil. Cecil the angel over there. Cecil, what you doing, son? Come here. Grab, some ch grab those chains over there and go get Lucifer. You know him as Lucifer. Go get the devil and chain him up and throw him in that pit over there. What's that telling us? That the devil's not God's equal. That he sends an angel. He sends an angel down there to bind the enemy. Another thing we'll look at here is that God did bind the enemy. And it says here he laid hold of the dragon and he cast him into the bottomless pit and he put a seal on him. 
He did something that the devil couldn't do to Jesus. God, not even himself, but he sent an angel to do what the devil couldn't do to Jesus. And that was throw him in a tomb and seal it. Remember the devil tried to throw Jesus in the tomb after the crucifixion and even put a seal on top of it. But that wouldn't keep him there because Jesus got up. But here God sent an angel down there, took the devil, threw him in the bomber's pit, sealed him, and the devil's got to sit there for a thousand years. Want to know why? Because God is a lot more powerful than the devil is. Another thing I want you to understand during this is that God has the power to bind the enemy. To bind means to restrain him. And the one thing I want to talk about to my warfare brethren here that love warfare and think they understand warfare is that only God can restrain the devil. Only God can restrain the devil. Yeah, but I know that's not what I'm taught. I can pray and I can sing and I can speak. Yes, you can. You can pray and you need to. You can speak and you need to. You need to give instruction and you can. But what you've got to remember, it's not you doing the binding. It's God that has the power to do the binding. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the power to do it, but you've got to understand, it's not anything that you're doing. As well, you've got to release the, the faith, but it's God on the inside of you that is behind the enemy. Understand that God works through you to restrain the devil. When he comes against your finances, he comes against your marriage, he comes against your mind, he comes against your children. Don't ever forget in warfare that it is God that binds the devil. So what's your point? Don't go into warfare without God because you'll never win. But if you take God with you, you'll bind him every single time. Plain truth, plain speech, and clear truth is what binds the enemy. Let me say it again. That was good. Plain speech and a clear understanding of truth is what binds the enemy. And so the angel came down. He didn't stutter. He didn't act like he didn't know what he was going to do. He took the devil and threw him in the bottomless pit because he had a word from God. And God told him, go get him and restrain him. Now, you have to understand here that this is not a punishment. This is a restraint. This is a restraint of the enemy. He didn't throw him to the lake of fire, which we'll see here in a few minutes. This is the bottomless pit. This right here is a restraint. He restrains him because the thousand-year millennial rule reign of Christ or millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom of Christ has begun. That means the godly utopia of everything that we can think of in our mindset of what goodness is. You know what that one, that sunshiny day we had the other day that didn't rain? It's kind of like that every day. I mean, just, just, just beautiful, just, just great. And, and you know, no, no sorrows, no pain, no death, no, no weather disasters, no tornadoes, no earthquake, no, no feats of snow, no, no people getting, no, no COVID. No, nothing. Want to know why? Because the devil is in the bottomless pit. He's been restrained. There's nothing. It's a thousand years of living with God right here on this earth, living with Jesus, literally. He's not in heaven. You don't need faith because he's here. You can go to him whenever you want to because he's, he resides in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what street in the house number yet, but he's going to live in Jerusalem, and we know that. Isaiah 2 tells us that. And so we see that. So all this is happening now for a thousand years. We're going to be with him. And then verse 4. And then John said, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who is this? Well, we know it's the church. We know it's the apostles that are sitting upon the thrones. What does throne mean? That we're going to rule and reign from these positions. 
Every child of God, you're going to rule. You're going to have a level of authority during a thousand years of ruling and reigning with God because of what you did for God right here on this earth. There's levels of that. Oh, I'd love to teach that for another hour, but I can't. And then he says, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witnesses to Jesus for the word of God. People who were beheaded, that word beheaded in the Greek there actually means executed. They just, the translation here was beheaded, but it's actually executed. People are losing their life after the rapture of the church, during the seven-year tribulation period. People who did not accept this gospel that's being preached to them. People who just, has never just, just completely accepted Christ are going to go all the way through the tribulation period. And they're not going to bow down to the deceptions of the devil. They're not going to bow down to the Antichrist. They're not going to take the mark of the beast. And because of that, they're going to lose their life. The only problem I have with this with people that think they're going to make it through that, who, who reject Jesus Christ now, is that you want to stand up for Jesus on social media, and you're sure not going to stand up for him whenever he's going to risk being executed because of it. So it's going to be them, but it's going to be people like that. And he says, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded, who have been executed for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, wait a minute. How did they live with Christ if they were martyred? The word martyred means that they died for their faith. So they died. So how are they living for a thousand years? Because Jesus, when he came back, right before he started the millennium kingdom, he raised them from the dead. It's still the first resurrection. You say, now wait a minute, because a lot of people who wants to put the church all the way through the tribulation period, all the way at this point, says well, right here is where the church is resurrected. Well, no, the church isn't resurrected there because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, 17, and 18, that the trump of God, the dead in Christ, is going to rise first. And then these of us, which is alive and remain, will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall it be with the Lord. Our resurrection, if you're raptured, that is your resurrection. But you have to understand the definition of the first resurrection because these people are resurrected not before the rapture but after the rapture because they are martyred during the tribulation period. But the first resurrection is an order. It's an order that represents every person, every believer that is resurrected because of their righteousness in Christ that, are res that is raised from the dead before the millennium starts. So once the millennium starts, that's the end of the first resurrection. And so it started 2,000 years ago when Jesus was raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of the one who raised from the dead. He's the first one. And then the second one is going to be the rapture of the church. The third is going to be right here at the rapture of the martyrs. The martyrs are going to be raptured up. And then the kingdom is going to start. And that's very important to understand that because not everybody, not everybody is going to participate in the first resurrection. Because verse 5 says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. So you have the people that the believers that died during the, during the tribulation period, along with us who was raptured, we are risen from the dead. And so now we don't have to face the second death because the Bible talks about a second death. So let's continue to read. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. You see this word second death? The second death. 
You have to understand, and here's what the Bible is saying. If you're born twice, you only have to die once. But if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. Got your attention yet? What do you mean born twice? Well, you got to be born first to enter in this world through the womb of a woman. You come through, you're born. But then you're born again because you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment. So we're all going to die. Whenever we die, are you going to be raptured? And if you do, that's the only time you're going to die is that one time. But if you've only been born once, which is just to enter in this planet, but you're never born again, not only are you going to die either through a sickness or just because your time on earth is here or you get annihilated during the tribulation period because of judgment or you get eaten by birds, then you're going to die twice because dying twice is, has power over you. But if you've been resurrected the first time, then you're only going to die once. And so that's very important that the Bible is teaching here. Born twice, die once. Or you can be born once and you can die twice. I don't know about you, but I want to be born again. And so that way the second death has no power over me. Isn't the Bible a good book? And so we see that. And so the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power over us. The second death has no power over us. What is the second death? The second death is the lake of fire. The lake of fire. You're going to die here on this earth. That's how you're going to leave here. But the second death is when you're thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. You're going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever. But the Bible says that the second death has no power over you if you've been born again. Aren't you thankful this morning that hell and the lake of fire, which is designed for the devil and his angels, has no power over you? That's why we got to get people saved. we got to get people born again. And so we see that here, and so the Bible teaches us that. Verse 7, now when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. The Gog and Magog here, again for my students, is not, is not Ezekiel 37 and 38, which is a literal war of Gog and Magog. But here John is using, as the, Bible, the prophets usually do, use Gog and Magog as the enemies of God. And so we see here that the enemy goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth and Gog and Magog, which is the enemies of God, to gather them together to do battle, whose number is of the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and their beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Then the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Boy, we got some stuff to unpack here. Here's what's happening. So we see here that after the thousand-year reign, and we get to live with God for Jesus right here on earth for a thousand years, no sickness, no sorrow, no war, no pain, nobody dying. It just goes on and on and on. But then the devil's going to be released after a thousand years of us just worshiping God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 2, verse 1 through 5, that every year, Every year, everybody has got to go up to Jerusalem where Jesus is and worship him there at least once a year. It's the law of God. It's the rule of God. And people are going to do it. No war. It's not because they're not going to want to. People's going to be getting on each other's nerve, but it's going to be no war because Jesus will not allow it. 
because he rules and he reigns for a thousand years. It's his kingdom right here on earth. So you have to understand this. Where are we at? We're the church. We're the believers. Remember, we're ruling and reigning with him. Who are we ruling and reigning over? We're ruling and reigning over the people who made it all the way through the tribulation period. These are people who were not, was not the church, that were not raptured. And so then they went through the seven-year tribulation period. They did not accept the mark of the beast, and they were not martyred. They made it all the way through. They didn't join no army against God, and they weren't eaten by birds. They made it all the way through. So now God is setting up his kingdom, and you got all these people. I don't know the number, but there's, there's a few of them here on this planet. And for a thousand years, they don't have resurrected bodies. We have resurrected bodies. The martyr saints have resurrected bodies. They don't have resurrection bodies. But they're not going to die because Satan is restrained. He's locked up. The wages for sin is death. And there is no sin because God will not allow it. Because Jesus is living on this planet for a thousand years. And he's ruling and he's reigning. And everything's going to be underneath his order. But still, for a thousand years, they're going to be here. And they're going to multiply. And they're going to multiply. And they're going to multiply for a thousand years. You realize America is not like 250 years old. And so we're talking about a thousand years. You know, I taught you a couple weeks ago that just... Um, in, 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 in the 1800s, there was only 1 billion people on this planet. But now, probably by the end of this year, there will be 8 billion people on this planet. So in about 220 years, almost 300, I'm going to say for, for the math's sake, in 300 years, we've grown 7 billion people. So if you times that, now 1,000 instead of 3,000, you just say um, 21. You're easily around 25 billion people on this planet if you're going the same multiplication that we're going right now, if you like to do stuff like that. That's how many people's on this planet. That's why it's important for us to rule and reign over them, to govern them, to authority them. They don't have resurrected bodies. They're here. They're having babies, and they're having babies, and it's multiplying, it's multiplying, and multiplying. But every year, Isaiah says, they have to go to Jerusalem and to the city of our God and worship Jesus there. And they have to do it outwardly, but Jesus is sitting back and thinking, well, they have to do it because my kingdom is here. On the outside, they have, to, they have to show their allegiance to me. But on the inside, they might not. And Jesus doesn't just want your heart from the outside. He wants you from the inside. So why is this teaching in here? And why am I taking up time this morning to teach something that's not going to happen for over a thousand years? And if you know Jesus Christ, you're not going to participate in it anyway other than ruling and reigning because it shows the human heart. It shows how people are today. It shows how we are right here. That these people have to outwardly worship Jesus. But inwardly, they don't have to submit themselves to his lordship. And so Jesus is sitting back. He's already thought about this stuff. He says, I'm going to restrain the devil for a thousand years. But after a thousand years and all this multiplication of people, just like me and you, they might not inwardly have accepted me as their savior or accepted me as their lord. See, you got to understand there's a difference between being innocent and being righteous. Being innocent and being righteous. Let me put it to you this way. Adam was innocent, but he wasn't righteous. Why was he innocent? Because he had never been tempted. He had never been tempted to be deceived. But when he was tempted to be deceived, he fell for it. So there's one thing not to be, to be innocent about something, but there's another thing to be tempted and saying, oh, no, devil, I'm not falling for that trap. That's righteous. Yeah, well, I'm powerful. I'm strong. I don't fall for that. That's because you haven't been tempted by that. 
But when you've been tempted by that, but greater is he that is in you, and you it's not your righteousness, but his righteousness that caused you to say no, that you realize now you're counted righteous. The reason why Abraham was counted for righteous, because every time he was deceived to be unrighteous, he said, no, I want to be righteous. And so God wants a righteous person. So these people are innocent for a thousand years, but they're not righteous. And so he releases the enemy. And the enemy for a thousand years goes all the way through and he starts deceiving people. And even while Jesus is right here on this planet, they allow themselves to be deceived by the devil himself. And they're deceived even to the point that they go and they, and they surround the city of our God. But just like it was in Revelation 19, now here is in the middle of Revelation 20, God just sends his word and completely annihilates every single one of them. Why is, why is that? Because why is God teaching us this today, and why do we have to understand it? Because there's a level playing field during the millennial reign. And if God's people don't, if people don't like anything else, they like excuses. Well, if I had a different environment, if I had, if I had a little more advancement, if I, if I had a little more things going towards me or for me, like they do over there, then I will serve Jesus too. These are people who have the exact same playing field. Nobody's born on the wrong side of the track. Nobody has more money. Nobody went through a bad marriage and this one went through a good one. This one had parents and that one didn't. Every, this is the thousand year millennium kingdom of Christ. Everybody's under the same, uh, same advancements. Everybody has the same advantages. This one over here don't have more advantage than that one. That's why you're a sinner. This one over here had more money than that one. That's why you can't get saved. You can't serve God. Everybody's under the same advancements. Everybody has everything on the same level. And it shows that mankind still has to make up their decision on whether or not they're going to serve God or they're going to serve the devil. You can't use excuses. It's not excuses anymore. You've got to make a decision. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve the devil? and you need to make up your mind as for me and my house I'm going to serve the Lord and so this is what the Bible is teaching us here it's teaching us here that these people represent us it represents us to the point that regardless of our environment regardless of our situation regardless of whether or not we've got the ups and, and they got the downs and we're born different whatever it doesn't matter when the enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy you've got to make up your decision whether or not you want to accept Christ as your Savior and hang on to him and this is what it's teaching us here and so the Bible says here, and fire came down from God of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophets are. And there they were tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, we get back to the, we put my, my suppers up here again because it's very important that we understand that the supper of salvation the supper of salvation is what we receive when we receive Christ as our Savior. And then we have the Lord's Supper. And then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we celebrate with Christ. And then the supper of the great God. Man, don't miss that first one. Don't miss the invitation to come to God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and all your strength. Just submit yourself to Him. Because even people right here on earth, people right here on earth, it's, yeah, sure, it's a thousand years from now, but people right here, right here on earth, with Jesus, not by faith, with Jesus right here. And all they can do is look at him and, and know who he is and submit themselves to him every single day. But they still are going to be deceived 
by the enemy. Because outwardly, they're showing like they're receiving Jesus, but inwardly, their allegiance is not there. You know what that teaches me? It teaches me the only thing that can overcome the devil is the grace of God and a new birth experience. The grace of God that comes to the new birth experience. The reason why you're saved this morning, the reason why you're born again this morning, is because you have the grace of God. Right? You're not innocent. Come on, church, you're not innocent. You're righteous. Who made you righteous? Jesus made you righteous. How did he make you righteous? How did he make you righteous? Through the born-again experience. You said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I accept you. Amen. These people, boy, we can come to church. We can carry our Bibles. We can act like it. These people had to every single day. Isaiah, let's put Isaiah up there. Let me just read that. A band's coming. We're going to sing a song because we're going to worship him this morning. But Isaiah chapter number 2. Isaiah chapter number 2. Verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Can you imagine that? Come on, church. That's, that's where we're heading. Where do you think we're heading? Things are not getting better. Jesus is going to have to come and set up his kingdom right here. And when he's done... All evil is going to be destroyed, and we're going to be able to say, Come, let's go to the mountain of God. He's going to teach us how to walk today. Isn't that glorious? Verse 3 again. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations. And he shall rebuke many people. Why would he have to rebuke many people? Because remember, a lot of people are outwardly serving him, but not inwardly. And he'll have to rebuke them. You can't act that way. You can't treat her that way. You can't talk to him that way. No. And you're not going to fight. Look. And so then he tells them, And he rebuked many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. All of the house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's just one of 200 passages in the Old Testament that talks about the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's right here. And we're going to come to him and come to his feet. And we're going to worship him. And he's going to tell us how to do disputes. And he's going to use us to do the same thing and rule it for a thousand years. Somebody even 50. A thousand years. But then the devil's going to be released. 
and those that came to him and those could talk to him and those who outwardly did what he said to do but inwardly just wouldn't submit their hearts to him how do you know because when a deceiver came they gave in what causes us not to give in when a deceiver comes this week is the grace of God that fills your heart because you're a born again believer amen why because you can't mind the enemy you can't restrain him but God can who's living inside of you right now child of God is Holy Spirit what you cannot do for your weak he can do for he's strong accept the invitation where's my supper at put my supper back up there accept the invitation to the supper of salvation many of you already have many of you watching me and listening to me already have accepted the invitation to a supper but I'm here to tell you the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man today is the day of salvation accept his invitation and when you do you become born again I said born again that means that the lake of fire has no power over you the devil cannot send you to hell you're not going to mess up I know what some of you are thinking okay I'm going to miss the I'm going to go into rapture I'm going to miss the city of tribulation I'm not going to get eaten by birds I'm going to make it all the way through a thousand years and that's why I'm going to mess up no man you're good you've been born again the devil has no power over you he can't get you in you in eternity already this all the time. Pastor, I'm telling you, if the birds don't get me in a thousand years, I know the devil will. No, he won't. You're born again. The second death has no power over you. Come on, church. I told first service, I don't know why preachers, I'm tired of life coaches. I'm tired of motivational speakers being in the pulpit trying to come up with a jingle to help people through. My God, man, start preaching the Bible. Let them know that God has power over the devil. He has power to rebuke the devil. He has power to see us through to the very end. Better keep you straight money through Saturday. We don't make it to Wednesday. Teach them there's a fire shut up on the inside of you. Teach them that you're not innocent. Teach them that they're not, they're not just, they're not just, 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 just perfect people. Teach them that the reason why they're gonna make it over all the power of the enemy is because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Teach them that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always. I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy because I have restraining power. Teach them that. Teach them that. Teach them that. Teach them that we win. That we don't have a clue what happened in the eternal past. But we do know what's going to happen in the eternal future. That the world is not coming to the end. The world as we know it is coming to the end. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to the God Almighty. And He shall rule and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. And we're going to rule with Him. Amen. Nobody stand. I just feel like worshiping the Lord. 
the best news that you'll get all week. Go ahead and prophesy that. You say, well, I'm not getting any more good news. No, you'll get all kinds of good news. But this is the best, that no matter what, I am safe in the arms of the Father. I'm born again. I've been born. How many of you ever been born? How many's got a birthday? How many knows your birthday if you don't see me at the church? How many's got a birthday? Come on, raise your hand. I'm not going, you're not signing up for nursery or anything. Raise your hand. How many's got a birthday and you know what it is? Okay, you've been born. How many's got another birthday? The day you got born again. Oh! Hey! you'll never go to hell. That means that the second death has no power over you. That the devil's going into the lake of fire and you are not. That means the restraining power of God is at work on the inside of you. He has obey your voice. Amen. Come on, this is we hope you enjoyed this sermon from our weekend experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate by texting any amount to 84321 or visiting our website, highestpraisechurch.com. If you want to connect with our local church and stay up to date with events, you can fill out a digital connect card, which is also on our website. We'll see you soon.